Hello and welcome to Austria. My name is Bernie, Bernie Aird, A-I-R-D. Today's podcast is a conversation with Pete Gardner. Pete's driven over 900 miles to come to Austria to take part in his first podcast. And my first podcast. He's been around since 1940, has Pete. But he's in very good shape. So, Pete, it's over to you. Yeah. Pete, um, welcome to Austria, and uh, you've been coming here for many, many years. Uh, how many years is it? Oh, since 1980. I first came to Mittersill in 1980. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was over in uh, the other side of uh, Osterell there. And uh, and about four o'clock in the afternoon, I remember, I uh, got in the auto and came over the mountain and dropped down into this little place because I'm not keen on cities. I've been in too many cities as a, as a truck driver. And uh, I was born in the country, and I like the countryside. And I dropped down into Mittersill, and the first thing that I saw was an old farmhouse with all the flowers. I think it was maybe late July or early August, and the flowers on the uh, house on the balcony and all this, uh, they looked absolutely beautiful. And as soon as I saw these, I thought, yeah, this is me. And I uh, came down into Mittersill and I was looking for an hotel and I stopped in the Ischenviet, uh, which is now uh, sort of a shopping centre. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, going back to uh, how things, uh, you know, to the start, which is, uh, I was born in the West Riding of Yorkshire, mm-hmm. uh, which... Uh, Later, the politicians uh, had a better idea for it and they put us into Lancashire. Well, that didn't suit a lot of people. And uh, many, quite a few years later, when this thing happened, when they put us into Lancashire, because I always considered myself as being a Yorkshireman, and that we'd been born in Yorkshire, a little place called Barnoldswick, uh, and it is near Skipton in Yorkshire, actually, in between Skipton and Burnley in Lancashire. Yeah. So uh, what happened uh, was uh, people were a bit grieved about the politicians changing us from uh, Yorkshire into Lancastrians. Because <laughs> you remember the War Ooh. of the Roses. Aye. And uh, what happened, the people, uh, the council moved... Uh, Move the the boundary, and they also move the boundary, the Lancashire, Lancashire Yorkshire uh, boundary sign. Yeah. And what they were doing at night, a lot of these Yorkshire people, they were going out there and digging the the signs up again, and uh, bringing them back into Yorkshire where they were originally. And then the council would, somebody would discover this and council would come and dig it up again and <laughs> put it into Lancashire on the border. And and this happened several times. But uh, anyway, I was, uh, as I say, I was born a Yorkshireman, and, uh, but I was only very young when I was born. 
How old were you when you were born? Pete? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. But anyway, I uh, I was born on the twenty third of August, nineteen forty, and some of the first recollections I had as a child was uh, I uh, used to lay on the grass. On, on our lawn outside my house and I used to watch the German bombers coming over at night and yeah, it was uh, it must have been in the back end of the year when it was dark and on a moonlit night you could see these bombers probably a hundred of them uh, probably more yeah and they were coming over to bomb places like Liverpool and Coventry they even bombed our chip shop <laughs> and uh, we, we weren't right happy about that but no. Had they known at the time, had the Germans known at the time, in our town was uh, the Rover Company, which were making engines for Spitfires and... Uh, right. And so that would have been obliterated. And I think our small town, which is not, not a lot bigger than Mittersillies, mm. it would have been obliterated. Yeah. So, quite luckily, nobody knew. But uh, in this factory, from 1939, when F Sir Frank Whittle started working on, on the gas turbine engines instead of the piston engines. And, he's, and he, I think he lived somewhere down in Worcester somewhere, and he had two or three of his oppos with him. And they were developing this gas turbine engine. Mm. Anyway, the government got them to come up to uh, to Barnoldswick, and they said, and they said that it took them two days to get here because all the road signs had been taken down because of the war. So nobody, nobody, uh, the Germans wouldn't have known where they were going, but they didn't need to bother. The English people didn't even know where they were going. And so, so a day and a half later, when Sir Frank Whittle, uh, who is classed as the inventor of the jet engine, whether this is 100% true, I don't know, because the Germans were also working on... Uh, on the gas turbine engines. Okay. But Frank Whittle started in 1939. He was an ex-RAF man, mm. or something, with Sir Frank Whittle. Mm. And uh, he came into Barnold's with, with his operators and he started the development of the gas turbine engines. And there are many photographs about, if you care to go on to, uh, on to YouTube or whatever you go on to. But yeah. I've... I've seek quite a lot of information out about this gas turbine engine and there are lots of photographs there and uh, and as the years developed uh, you could hear these engines running uh, nearly anywhere in town because they were that loud and yeah. they had big silences on them maybe 80 foot 100 foot long Good God. And uh, they used to throw chickens into the engines and stuff like that to, to, and blow them up to, to, see, uh, to see what effect the, uh, a bird strike would have. Yeah. And uh, by this time, uh, I was uh, going to school. I think I went to school when I was four years old and uh, 
I wore a gas mask. In fact, it's only recently since I took it off. Well, and, uh, since, but, since the advent of corona. <laughs> uh, yes, that's correct. I, everybody seems to be wearing these masks. I should have kept mine from 1943, 1944. Because we used to carry these every day when we went to school. Mm. And, uh, and at school, in the afternoon, we would have, have a, a, a bit of lunch. And then, of course... When, as a three or four year old, when you'd had two or three pints of beer in your lunch, you fell asleep. <laughs> and then at quarter past three in the afternoon, uh, we, we finished school. And uh, my mother would come and collect me from school, uh, along with several other ladies who lived on the street, who, uh, who had sons or daughters who were my pals yeah. at that time. And uh, I also uh, used to like animals and I used to go to the local farms because everybody uh, round where I lived, it was all farming country, milk cows and sheep and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I was a young kid, about seven years old, I used to go down to the farm and I learned how to milk. I also learned how to drive tractors as well, which for a for a young a young boy at seven year old driving a tractor around the field was pretty exciting. Yeah, and uh, probably a bit like Lewis Hall uh, Hamilton uh, running running around the track like he does today. But uh, did your mum yeah. and dad approve of you driving uh, tractors at that age? Well, or? they didn't. Uh, they didn't know. My dad, my father was a. Uh, at work after mm. he came out of the RAF at about 1946, 1947. Yeah. And uh, as I say, I took an interest in milking cows and stuff like this, and uh, milking cows by hand, because uh, there were very few machines about at that time to milk cows with. Mm. And, uh, and also at the weekends, uh, a few of us used to work uh, take off into the country, only about a, a mile out of town, or a mile and a half away from home, mm -hmm. and we used to pitch a tent, and we would go down to the, the, the there's a little brook at the side of where we used to tent, uh, put the tents up, and uh, quite a, funny, a few funny stories came out of that thing, because uh, we used to... Uh, get down on the banking and feel under the bankings to see for, for trout. And sometimes the banking was a bit steep and you slid in head first <laughs> into the brook. And, and also there was uh, eels in. And I remember one time, uh, one night we was down there and uh, the eels were coming out of the water and travelling across land. Oh. And they were going into a bigger river, which uh, was the stocks. Uh, the stock's back, but it was uh, the, the size of a pretty small river, and it led into the river Ribble, right? Which ran into the sea at Preston. So, and then they, they said that uh, they went into the Sargasso Sea, and they, they were there for years, and that's where they used to grow and breed. There was when the uh, and then they used to come back in later life like the salmon did. They came back into the rivers and we used to catch these things. They'd be probably, uh, some of them, if 
you got a good one, it wasn't going on for a a metre long. Mm. And what we used to do as kids on the weekends, we used to catch the trout, we used to try and catch the eels and we cooked them and ate them. And also at the time, uh, there was uh, the big birds nesting like the curlews Mm. and the puits and uh, we used to look for the eggs off these and we'd take an egg from a nest but we didn't take them all because uh, we wanted them to be there next year. Yeah. And uh, and occasionally we'll venture out into the country to uh, take a few eggs off, uh, off out of the farmer's chicken coop. Uh, <laughs> and, and that in, and I, I even... I've even been out there, and because I could milk by hand, mm. when the cows were resting at night, if you were very careful and uh, and quiet, you could go up to them, and we used to, I used to milk them into a bottle so that we had some uh, had some milk for a brew when we put it on. And of ah. course, anybody who's ever been camping and had a campfire going, they know that the tea is always full of ashes from the fire. Oh. So we used to. Uh, used to scrape the ashes off the top of the tea, pour the milk in, and <laughs> and away we went. And also, there was uh, some guys who were a bit older than uh, than I was, maybe be 12, 13 years old, and some of them came from very big families, hmm. maybe eight or nine children, some of them. And uh, for people uh, that had no money, 1947, 1948, it was a large family. And how the, how the hell they afforded to have all these children? The, the, to me, the parents, now looking back on it, they must have spent most of the time in bed. Yeah, well, there was no TV in those days no, either. That's right. There was uh, <laughs> the, the entertainment was very limited, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, so you did what comes naturally. And, uh, Put the radio on. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, and uh, these these people from uh, the bigger families they tend to they tended to be uh, like a rough family, I suppose. When when there were seven or eight of you in there, there were plenty to fight about, mm. and. Uh, they nearly always had dogs like greyhounds, greyhounds and whippet, greyhounds and cur. And with these, you could catch the air and the rabbits and this kind of thing. And, and down on the stocks back and on the cloggers back where we used to catch the trout, the, the ducks would, the wild ducks would come and lay eggs and we used to take a few eggs uh, out of the duck's nest. But not them all, because we wanted them back the year after, like I have said. And, uh, and so, and this is how our, our weekend went. And uh, this, uh, actually, it was in the summer. We didn't do it in the winter. It was too damn cold. But yeah. uh, in the summer, it was very nice being out there in a one or two man tent. And we was having all this fun, no restrictions on us. And... Uh, and just living a great life, which which was really good at that time, because when you think about it today, you a young guy at six, seven, eight, nine years old, he could not go out into the country now and do what we did. No, because uh, of uh, farmers, you know, our times have changed and uh, and yeah. uh, that you know. 
But occasionally we used to get the odd tramp who was a man of the road sort of thing, and he would come in and join us. And they were quite they were quite nice with these people. And uh, and I, I remember I remember once when uh, this gypsy couple. I don't think they were Roma, uh, proper Romas or anything like that, but no. they they had this, uh, what we called a gypsy caravan. And uh, and this guy would, we would talk to him and his wife and he would give us a, a woodbine or something like that. Uh-huh. And, and this is how you get smoking it. 89 year old you thought uh-huh. that was you were being a man if you anyway give us a wood bine or something like that and we'd be smoking and he showed us uh, how to cook hedgehogs good god yeah and uh, which i'd never heard of before and he and he showed us how you cook the hedgehogs you, you uh, put it wrap it in clay and uh and then you put it on the fire for a couple of hours, and then when it was cooked, the 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 clay was hard, and it and it cracked open, and all the all the bristles and the skin came off, and uh, and he said it was like eating chicken. I didn't fancy eating Ooh. an hedgehog because, no. but uh, how, how did they kill the hedgehog? Uh, I have no idea, but he, he had caught this hedgehog, whether it had been walking across the road or whatever, I don't know. But yeah. he caught this hedgehog, and uh, and it was they were living off the land. Yeah, same as we were doing as young kids living mm. off the land. Same as uh, duck eggs and this kind of thing. And you didn't eat any toads or uh, any uh, any frogs or anything. Frogs? No, legs. no, nothing like that. No, it was just the trout and the heels and the the rabbits and. Yeah, and this kind of thing, and the hair. Yeah, I and I could imagine eating a rabbit, I, but I could not imagine even starting to eat a hedgehog. <laughs> no, well, well, I, I couldn't really, but he said it tasted like chicken, mm. and uh, but I never actually tried it, and uh, and then later, as I was uh, growing up, got a bit older, and and that, and I I, I got more interested in the farming. And when I left school, when I left school, I uh, started working on a farm. Mm. And uh, it was a very big farm at that time. It was uh, 265 acres, which in those days was a very, very big farm. Yeah. And uh, I think we was milking somewhere around about 45, 50 cattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I had been doing this for several years before I actually left school, and this is what I wanted to, to do when I left school. And ma- mainly when I was at school, I spent more time looking out of the window than I did uh, than I did concentrating on what I should have been doing. Yeah, mathematics I know. And, and uh, I, I didn't want to learn Latin and stuff like that. that my thing and and uh, and it's a good job really because I've never I've never wrote a letter in Latin or anything since uh, since no. I left school. No, and, same with and me. They said you could uh, if you wanted you could learn French. Well, I didn't want to learn French. The, lang- the language I spoke is a, a, a type of French these days. But, <laughs> uh, but we won't go into that. But I wouldn't have minded learning German mm. because my father spoke very, very good German. 
And uh, and that. But anyway, I uh, I left school and I went farming. Yeah. And I was driving the tractors, milking the cows, and I didn't bother how many hours I worked or anything like that. I just, I think I was on about two pound a week when I left school in 1955. Yeah, which was a lot more than it sounds, I suppose, two pounds. uh, You know, I mean, to say two pound now, you just about buy half a beer or half a cup of coffee. But I worked all week for that, maybe 60, 65 hours. Yeah. I worked Saturdays and Sundays, and and it didn't make any difference to me. I just enjoyed uh, working. Mm. And and throughout my life, I've never bothered about how many hours I worked uh, or anything like that. And I, I never did a, a job. I never went working on a job that I disliked. Yeah. Uh, and in those days, Pete, Correct me if I'm wrong. Did the children get pocket money from their parents or not? Well, uh, no, I I didn't. My parents had any money to give me. Mm. No, no, I didn't get anything like that. And and I was taught from a very early age that if you want anything, you have to save up and buy it. So I got a milk uh, a paper round. Yeah. I also helped uh, a guy do a milk round. And uh, of course, this was with a horse-drawn carriage. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I remember getting up about 5.30 in the morning to do this milk round. And uh, and the guy in the summer, he had to go and get the horse to, mm. to walk it about a quarter of a mile to the to, to where the cart was garaged. And uh, it was very funny, really, because uh, uh, he, he would call the horse, he, he would hold his hat out as though he had some food in it or, or a bucket yeah. with something in and check it and and the horse would bolt to the other end of the field. <laughs> so Harry, this guy, Harry Tudor, the milkman, he, he would walk to the uh, other end of the field cussing and, and that, <laughs> come here, you bastard. And... Uh, and then when, when, he, when he walked to that end of the field, the horse would bolt to the other end of the field because he knew, he knew there was bugger all to eat in the bucket. <laughs> so, but eventually he would get it, and he used to get, get hold of it at the, uh, t- on the, with a tuft of air on the, up near its ears. Yeah. And he, uh, and he would get the harness on it and then walk it up and put it in the cart. It, it was a bit reluctant, was the horse. Yeah. But he went out and he put the milk on and then he went out delivering milk and I helped him and I think I got about four shilling a week, something yeah. like that. And it wasn't bottles of milk. It wasn't pint bottles of milk. Like yeah, we'd... it were pint bottles oh, of milk. Oh, was it? Yeah, they, 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 were, they were in crates, but they, they hadn't the silver top on like you get. They used no. to be a wide top and they put sort of a, a cardboard top on them. Yeah. And it had a little button in the middle that you pressed out and you poured the milk out of that instead of taking the old top off. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I think I got about three or four shilling a week for, for doing this for seven days as a child. Mm. And uh, and that and, uh, I, I remember doing this milk round and uh, I didn't get much money for that, but I saved up. And I bought an old bike off somebody. I can't remember who it was that I bought this bike off. Because a couple of years before that, I'd pinched my brother's bike. 
and he came home earlier than I expected and he Oh, and he beat me up. That's right. I remember you telling me for this. Pin- <laughs> for pinching his bloody bike. So anyway, I got my own bike and I could uh, get out. And, and we used to pride ourselves at that time uh, of having a good lamp on it on the front mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lamp so that you could be seen at the back. And also we had a bell, which just lately, because I digress now, but just lately, when since the coronavirus thing is the exercise I got was walking on the canal bank, which was which we called as kids the coat. Ah. Everybody called it the coat, and it was. Uh, for those of you, for those of you listening in America, when Pete says "cut," he means "cut." C U T. You'll have to ex, uh, you'll have to excuse the uh, Yorkshire the accent. dialect of uh, Yorkshire, but. This is the way I talk. And and I don't apologise for that. No. Uh, because I think there are so many lovely accents. And round where I live, uh, digressing again, mm-hmm. where I live, every three kilometres, the dialect changes. Uh-huh. Where, I say, where I would say money, mm-hmm. they say money. Money. Three three kilometres away. And, and they, they have several ways of... You can tell where somebody comes from uh, yeah. because of the change in the dialect. But, uh, as I say, I, I, I got a bike and I was able to get about a bit and, uh, and the things uh, he used to... Play a bit of kiss chase if you got chance and all this kind of thing. Not with the boys, <laughs> uh, with the lasses, uh, the bonnie lasses. With, uh, which I get back to uh, today, where the coronavirus thing comes in, mm. and because uh, I'm eighty years old now, uh, yeah, that's I amazing. don't climb up the hills. No, uh, I I walk on the canal banking which is a Leeds and Liverpool canal, which was cut sometime in the 1800s or something, of the early 19th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the barges that came on this canal were drawn by horses. Right. There were no engines in at that time. One or two of them had, but uh, most of them were drawn by horses. And uh, the uh, obviously the... The guy who was looking after the horse, he had bales of hay on there to feed the horse with, and and there were plenty of water at canal. Yeah, and uh, for to to water to, the horse. to slack its thirst, as they say. And but I walk on the canal banking now, and as I say, as it as a child when we had the bicycles. You'll have to bear with me because I go backwards and forwards about things. That's okay. Um, You're on your bike. That's fine. And, uh, Anyway, on the uh, on the canal banking, where is I do my bit of a walk, I'll walk two or three kilometres on the banking, turn round and come back. And the thing that uh, annoys me a lot is the fact that these people today they have a probably have a, a bicycle worth about three thousand quid. And they ride on the banking, which I don't know whether they're supposed to do or not, but they come up behind you and had a guy, uh, several people have, uh, they say, excuse me, oi, 
Oi, and I'd turn round and there'd be a guy at the back of me on a, one of these here fancy bikes that mm. cost maybe 2,000, 3,000 quid. And I said, what's up? Can't you, can't you afford a fucking bell on that bike? They only <laughs> cost 50, 50 pence, you know, yeah. for a quid. Yeah. And, uh, and they've this fancy bike and they can't even afford a bell. They've no bloody lights on it or anything. And uh, so I have to step aside to let these guys pass. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but if they had a bell on thirty yards away, if they just clicked the bell, you'd know they were there and you could move into side. But the uh, but you turn around and they're right at the back of you. It's the same you. here in Austria, and Pete. The, when when I go walking with Manfred, yeah. All of a sudden, you know, you've got to yeah. really keep your eye open because yeah, because yeah, the, these guys with the two thousand bikes, yeah, the fifty bob bell. I know. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, and it annoys me, and, uh, and you know, I can sometimes be a grumpy bastard. I've even threatened to push one or two into these guys mm. into the canal, yeah. into cook, as we say, <laughs> and, uh, and see how you like that. Exactly. But as I say, I, I, I was uh, digressing, I was going from farming and that, and I was, uh, I was on the farm, and I enjoyed that. Uh, I never... I never did a job that I didn't enjoy, mm. and uh, and later on uh, from that I went. Uh, I did all sorts of jobs in between. After after the farming job, I went uh, working on building sites, uh, and I was very keen, uh, always very keen to learn. I uh, learned how to lay bricks. Right. I learned how to build in stone. I learned how to. To lay curb stones and flagstones, and uh, and that, and then I uh, I got an interest in truck driving. Mm. So I uh, I started driving wagons or trucks, as they call today, and uh, and I worked for one or two big companies and saw how they operated with these big trucks, and most of the trucks that. To work, they were somewhere around thirty tons, and, and then eventually they went up to to more than that thirty. I think somewhere around about forty tons nowadays. Uh-huh. And uh, and I like I like the freedom of that. I was uh, you were sat there in the cab on your own, and uh, which suited me. Mm. And uh, and then I got chance of a dro- a job driving bulldozers and so i went for a, for a while I, I went driving bulldozers for a company called bristol tractors which was uh they were in sconson near skipton in yorkshire and i went working there i knew a few people who who worked there on machines but i went driving the the bulldozers right and it was all experimental work was this bulldozer thing and so I was stuck in in various quarries, nearly always out in the country, which another thing suited me. Yeah. And I was out in the country driving these things to destruction sort of thing. In all sorts we, of weathers. Yeah, oh, seven days a week, and we were working 12 days a week sometimes. We, we did a, a 6-2 shift and a a two till ten yeah and that were seven days that went over mm. it were mm. saturday and sunday you did occasionally get a, get a day off and that and it works with some very interesting people mm. uh 
you know, developing these, uh, developing these bulldozers. Okay, which was quite interesting, mm. and uh, I still. I still see the actual guy who was a chief experimental. He was only about three or four years older than me, was this guy. He was called Colin Holt. Mm. And uh, he's had a, he had a cancer lately and in his jaw and one thing or another, but oh. I rang him up only a few weeks since. And I was talking to him. He was a, was a fella who really enjoyed working to. We're down to earth. He, uh, you know, a spade were a spade, and and that which was great for me because I'm a bit like that myself. Yeah. And uh, as, that, as you may realise as this job goes on. That is uh, actually very synonymous with Yorkshire people, isn't it? When I think yeah, of Freddie yeah, Truman. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, Bernie. Yeah, they seem to, if they've got anything to say... We, we say it and, yeah. and bugger the consequences. And everybody so. actually uh, enjoys that kind of attitude. I think it's something that we yeah. like to listen to. You know, Freddie Truman, when he, whenever he was talking. That's right. Um, and, of course, who's the cricket commentator? Uh, boycott. Boycott. Yeah, Boycott, he, he's another and he's been in trouble with uh, with this kind of thing. And then you get people like Kevin Keegan, who, he's from uh, Scunthorpe, which is ah. uh, more or less on the border of the South Yorkshire. And yeah. he uh, always talked uh, how he felt, did Kevin Keegan, and it got him into lumber a time or two. And, then, <laughs> uh, and you know, and the, the thing is about, Yorkshire people, they are a bit blunt, like Freddie Truman. Yeah. And uh, Parfit, Peter Parfit, who uh, was also in the Yorkshire team with Truman, uh, and uh, that he, he had a pub a couple of miles away from where I lived, and uh, occasionally I used to go there and have a beer and talk to Peter Parfit. Very mm. interesting guy. Spoke, uh, he wasn't, had, uh, he spoke a little bit more. Uh, Refined than okay. what we did, yeah. did Peter, and uh, and Freddie Truman would occasionally come in, and he would stand there talking like it was Freddie, and uh, mm. and he came in, and nobody bothered him, no. and he, he just wanted a few beers, did Freddie, and uh, <laughs> and, that, and I think he 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 was at loggerheads with quite a few people, probably throughout the England cricket team, uh, something like that, or the selectors, uh, because he always said what he what he thought. Yeah, what he thought. Yeah, and uh, and that's uh, like you say, Bernie. It is a little bit typical of us, you know, blunt as a bloody uh, bad action. And we all we all remember the Monty Python sketch, Pete, don't we? He, Three, four Yorkshiremen. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that were funny at first. Uh, oh, yeah, we, we have laughed at those oh. things uh, a few times, haven't we, Bernie? We played have. them over and over again, and and of course, uh, uh, Mr. Hilter, Mr. Hilter, and some of the other Monty Python things. That's uh, it. Yeah, it were it were quite funny later. Later on, I, I can't remember how old I would be when I was watching this. These things, but I used to like the Monty Python things, and the four Yorkshiremen used to suit me. Yeah, and also there was a couple of comedians. I can't remember who they were. They once did a, they once did a sketch on one of the TV programs, 
were about Yorkshire Airlines. Oh yes, and they were stacking off from from uh, Yeadon, which is now called the Leeds Bradford uh, Airport, and they were stacking off from Yeadon, and they said, "Now then, what we're gonna do? We're gonna go that runway, and then we're gonna take off, and we're gonna circle down round, and then come back down onto land because we don't want to go anywhere else." But Yorkshire. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Maybe a few people down south couldn't understand this. Mm. What the hell are these guys on about? They took but, the mickey out of themselves, didn't they? Yeah, they were just stacking yeah. mickey and, and that in... Uh, I can uh, see the comedian. He was the pilot. Yeah, he was... Uh, Sorry, Pete. I'm just going to have to answer that phone. There will now be a short intermission... Yeah, short intermission while he talks to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> 